This morning I want to talk to you about sticky culture. It's what I titled my message. Culture is one of those things that rub off on us. We can't help it. I found myself uh, last night spending time with the Focus team saying all y'all a couple of times. Because when you're around them, it just sounds weird to say you all. So you're just like all y'all. It's just, it, it just rubs off. I often get in trouble um, with Eliana for speaking like my friend. She says, no, 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 you sound just like this or that person now. There's some mannerisms that I pick up. You guys can identify with that. I even found myself this week in amidst our, uh, our friends from the Philippines dancing in one of the sessions. Now, if any of you know me, that's not me. I don't dance. I can't dance. But when the Filipinos are around and there's music, there's definitely going to be dancing as well. And I couldn't help it. At some point, I was sitting on a chair and everyone in the room, well, most of us in the room, uh, were up on our feet and just going for it. And there were moves made and all these things. And I'm just like, I can't help it. And I got up and I jumped up and I did a few moves and I imagined what I looked like and I sat down immediately. I'm like, that's it. Don't want to spoil the moment. I don't want these Filipinos to go back home and say, well, Pierre can't dance. It's terrible. Don't go to South Africa. It's going to spoil dancing for the rest of your life. But that's the, the thing of culture. And culture is beautiful if we do it right. Culture is profound if we understand it. And we see that when Jesus came, he brought a whole new culture, the kingdom culture. And we're going to study two pieces of passage this morning where Jesus has now brought this kingdom culture. And he chose these men and then eventually more men and women following him. And he's saying, guys, I want to remind you of the culture that I have brought don't let the culture around you stick onto you. So this morning, I want to talk to you about the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. What does it even mean? Well, I'm hopefully going to answer some of those questions this morning. But leaven, or another name for it, yeast, is a substance that is used in baking bread and making food, right? You guys understand that? And the beauty about how this thing works is if it comes in contact with, with similar form, then it sticks to that and it does its work within it. And here Jesus is speaking to his disciples and says, there's some culture around you that I want you to be aware of. And he speaks into it and we're gonna look at some things in the lives of the Pharisees and Sadducees that Jesus were intently just pulling his disciples aside and saying, come a little closer to me. Don't let that stick to you. I want to speak into that. So if you want to open up your Bibles and read with me, we're going to read from two passages this morning. Matthew 16, verses 1 to 12, and then Luke 12, verses 1 to 3. Let's read together, Matthew 16. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came. And to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, when it is evening, you say, it'll be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. 
Jesus said to them, watch and be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000? And how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000? And how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Jesus had just done it again. For the second time, he took a small amount of bread and multiplied it by thousands. And right after that moment, the Pharisees and the Sadducees come in and they demand a sign from Jesus. As if twice and just that one miracle, there were many more, wasn't enough. And here his disciples get on a boat or wherever they went to and they departed to. And like, oh goodness, we forgot to bring bread. And Jesus like, don't you guys ever learn? Are you seriously worried that you don't have bread? Haven't I showed you twice that I'm multiplying or I can bring bread where there is no bread? It's not out of your works in the bringing of bread that you will get what you need. It's out of grace. It's out of me doing a miracle in your life. So just hit pause on that thought. And I want to read the second passage this morning, Luke 12, verse 1 to 3. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will be revealed, not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Jesus, help us this morning to understand this passage in a way that it brings glory to your name and our lives are changed for your purposes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Climate and culture should not determine our view of Christ. If there's one thought that you take away today, this is the thought I want you to take away. We live in a sticky culture where the opinions and ideas of the day, and even especially in our religious environments, or rather in our church environments, in the Christian circles, it gets sticky and unsure. Some of you are facing some difficulty this week with Halloween. How do we deal with this? Do we celebrate it or not? Honestly, I don't know why the heck it came to South Africa. There's no need for it. I don't know why it even left Ireland to go to the U.S., so these sticky cultures are around us. I like what Jesus said. Beware. Think through it. Don't just let it stick to you. Take a moment to step back and ask the hard questions. Take a moment to think around the idolatry where it's stemmed from. And do you want to partner with that? And that's as much as I'm going to say about that this morning. And there's many things that you can go and read about that 
It's just one example. There's many more examples, and I don't want to focus on our culture today because we get to see it every single day. Our culture is all around us. It's screaming at us. It's encouraging us. It's challenging us. It's saying, you know what? You can follow Jesus without reading the Bible. That's what people believe, sadly. It says that, you know what? Some parts of the Bible, it's not exactly what it means. Years of scholarly studies have showed us. Jesus said, you know what, guys? This is gonna be the culture of the age that you live in. Come here. I wanna tell you to be aware of this. Don't let it stick to you. To you. We can't let the climate and culture determine our view of Christ. We've gotta let the word and the truth and the fullness of the word determine how we view Christ today. You know what's interesting? Being around Jesus doesn't mean that you actually believe in him or believe him. These Sadducees and Pharisees, they were walking around wherever Jesus went. They were around Jesus the whole time, but they didn't believe him. And so many of us find ourselves maybe in that hype moment where thousands are gathering. They're trampling one another because Jesus is here and they're there and Jesus pulls his disciples aside and he says, make sure that you actually believe me. And often even in our Christian world, we have a whole lot of hype. We've got to understand that we can't build our walk with Jesus around church culture. Because if this is not here anymore, and it's you and Jesus, what will stand? Then you can't say, you know what, ah, Eugene is missing. Oh, Ant is not there. Oh, I don't see Pete. Uh, my brother Justin from across the waters, he's not around anymore. We've got to build around Jesus Christ. When we, the church, don't gather anymore, and believe me, that's not gonna happen. I'm just using examples. What have you built around? A great time coming in, having a good coffee and a good laugh and singing some nice songs? Or do you build around Jesus? And that's what he told his disciples. Don't let this hype get the better of you. Come here, come closer to me, and make sure that your life is centered around me. What were these Pharisees and Sadducees in their day? Well, the culture that they lived was one of legalism. You've got to work for your, for your salvation got to be buttoned up and all ready to go, and then Jesus will accept you. They worked with a whole lot of head knowledge. They didn't open up their hearts to experience the power that Jesus ministered in. It was all up here. They confessed one thing, but they lived in another way. They were play acting. They would say that, that this is the way you should live, and they would lay it hard upon people. And then meanwhile, back at home, it looked different for them. But I think the bottom line of the Sadducees and Pharisees is they disbelieve in the true Jesus and in his words. That's the one thing that they were opposed against and said, ah, we're not sure we believe what you say is true. And then we found ourselves in a culture like that today where our hearts are challenged. I just spoke to someone this morning who was on a plane coming back from work this week and he sat next to an individual who says, after 10 years of study, I will make a decision which religion I will follow because I don't believe in Christianity anymore. That's the, 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 the name of culture around there today. In the account in Matthew, Jesus and his disciples, they have a little freak out. We've traveled, we're hungry, there's no bread. <laughs> and he says, you have little faith. Do you not perceive do you not remember? 
That word, little faith, when you study it a little bit deeper, means you of low confidence in Christ. See, God is calling us as the house of God to have a confidence in Him that when culture comes closer and that leaven and that yeast wants to come upon us and wants to stick, we have such a confidence in Jesus that our faith is unwavering and we keep standing. So I want to share four thoughts with you this morning out of these two accounts that I believe the disciples battled with in their culture. The first one was the fear of lack. These men worked hard. Jesus' ministry was going crazy. Some Sundays after you've preached and there was a whole lot of ministry, you go home and you're just like, bed. Just take a little nap. You need that afternoon nap. Maybe some of you need that after coming to church. I don't know. <laughs> but these guys were constantly walking with their feet in the scorching heat. I think our heat this week might be a good challenge to what they had in the Middle East in those days. Um, I think people who love Jesus more like winter. Because if you think about it, hell is hot. That's just a little joke. <laughs> if you're a summer person, Helena is, that's cool. We often fight about that. I prefer winter, so I'm excited that there's more rain on the way this week. But they were walking in this heat with, with their feet, little, little pieces of stone getting into the sandals, ministering, people are pushing up against, they want Jesus, they kind of feel like they're the bodyguard for Jesus. There was just a lot happening. And they were tired and hungry by the time that they departed from the crowd for a minute and like, oh goodness, there's no food. And I can imagine Jesus looking at him like, seriously, how many times are you gonna go through this? And so many of us find ourselves there again today because of circumstances because of what's happened in our lives, we're just saying, Lord, I don't know if there's gonna be any provision. And Jesus addresses that, that fear, that doubt that comes in. You see, doubt and fear were stemmed in disbelief. The Sadducees and Pharisees disbelieved that he is God. And these disciples of him started disbelieving that Jesus can provide for them once again. It would have been better for them to say, you know what, Jesus, we forgot the bread, but come on, you showed us some amazing stuff before. We're hungry. Can we make a plan here? And I'm sure that he would have. I love this promise. Young lions lack food and go hungry, but those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. That's the promise that we stand in when the fear of lack stands us in the face. And I want to ask you, in, in, with regards to culture, what's the culture in your home and in your mouth? Do you speak in faith that God is your provider, that he's going to come through? Do you confess faith to your children, that you know what, guys, we're finding ourselves in a sticky situation, but let's go on our knees as a family and we're crying out to heaven because God is the provider. He says in his word that we won't lack if we seek him. There's the key. You've got to seek him. Don't just claim the verse and walk on. If you go to that secret place of being with Jesus and you, you find yourself there on your knees, you say, God, I've read about the 5,000 that you fed. I've read about the 4,000. God, you've done some amazing stuff in my life. And you start recounting those things. You see, the culture isn't just outside there. It's within us. And we create culture by the things we say and the stuff that we believe and how we act. And I wanted to ask you that this morning, what is the culture in your mouth 
and in your home. Didn't Jesus just say that in the kingdom, there's a different culture of a heavenly father that knows that you need these things. So don't worry about them. Can you imagine Jesus with his disciples and their focus is back on what they need, bread. And Jesus is like, guys, I've taught you before. We've been through the Sermon of the, of the Mount this year as a church. Come on now. Don't focus on these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need it. So we see that the leaven of the Pharisees causes a disbelief. And out of that comes doubt and eventually fear that we won't have. A fear of lack. And the disciples battled with this. The second thing is forgetting what Christ has done. Jesus said, do you not remember? Do I have to remind you? I love how God works. He's a God of remembrance. Jesus said every time that you take the wine and eat the bread, do this in remembrance of me. We had such an amazing experience this week at the place that hosted us. At every meal and throughout the venue and location, there's communion available. And they had these wooden boards and on the side it just says, remember. Sheesh, I think I might have taken communion 20 times this week. And there was something profound and just, just, and for me this week was just simply remembering what he did for me on the cross. And saying, God, let that sink in deep for those that still have to hear what you've done. And Jesus addresses this. He says, guys, seriously, I'm not talking about bread. I'm talking about the way that you guys are thinking, this, this culture that is sticking to you. Have you already forgotten? We just, three chapters back, 5,000, just now, 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 just before, 4,000, and you worry that I'm gonna supply for you. Remind yourself. See, the opposite of forgetting is reminding and remembering. God did it with Israel. They've just passed through the Jordan. They're about to face their first massive battle, the city of Jericho, and he takes them to a place called Gilgal at the other side of the Jordan. He says, I want you to build an altar of stones, 12 stones representing the 12 tribes. And for the next seven days, you're gonna go and face that city, that giant, that opposition, that thing that comes against you. But every night, I want you to come back to this place and remember what I've done and where you've come from. Some of us need to build some of that into our lives. We, we don't say, oh, here we are again. We would rather say, God, wow, what have you already done? And we remind ourselves. We say this to one another, count your blessings, and we say tongue-in-cheek and in passing, but there's some deep truth in there. Counting your blessings, thinking about what God has already done. Instead of asking, what can God do for me? Ask yourself, what has God already done for me? Because it's in that looking back and in that remembering that faith rises up again. And these Pharisees and Sadducees were around and they were disbelieving that anything that Jesus has already done is even true. I honestly think if they were people of sincerity who really believed the scriptures like they did and they remembered everything they were taught, they would see the prophecies line up and identify Jesus as the Messiah. But they missed it because they didn't spend time to remember and think back on what he has done. It is in reminding that our faith is stirred. 
and we battled out. It is in the reminding to one another what we say, come on, I know you're facing some hardship, but can I remind you what God has done for you three years ago, two years ago? May I remind you that you had something to eat yesterday? Can we focus from, or live from that position of hope rather, and not forgetting what Jesus has already done? First thing, don't let any fear of lack stick to you. Secondly, don't forget what Jesus has already done. The Bible says in James 1 verse 6, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. This is coming right up against the spirit of disbelief and the Pharisees. You must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Maybe you've created a doubting culture where you do the right things and you pray and you, you claim the promise and you stand on it and you walk away from that moment and doubt settles in. Don't let a doubting culture stick to you. Don't let the naysayers around you, your family, your friends, the culture tell you that God can't provide for you again. Don't let the exclamation of our economy riddle us with fear that God won't provide. We've been in bad economy before. Let's remember what he's done. And even in the midst of where we find ourselves today as South Africans, and it is hard, let's be real and honest about that. Let's remember what God has done. He's taken our nation out of the most difficult circumstances and changed it. A couple of months ago, we were in a drought. We didn't have water to drink, almost. And our dams are 75% full. Why would we go around doubting God again? Why would we go around not remembering what he has done? The third thing that Jesus, I believe, tried to do in speaking to his disciples about this leaven is that these guys were following false doctrine. They were saying stuff and doing things that wasn't aligning to the true gospel and the truth of God's word. I realized that this is a tricky one in our, in our life today, just purely because of social media and our access to stuff. And I have, confession moment, I have believed some things about God because of some things that I've read or that I listened to and I had to go back to the word and really study it to make sure that that is correct. So now we live in this age where there's hype, there's excitement, there's new revelation, there's new stuff out there and there's new translations of the Bible. There's all these things happening and we, we, we go where there's excitement, just like the thousands that were trampling one another around Jesus, but it wasn't really for Jesus, it was more the hype. And we read stuff and we hear stuff and we see stuff and we think that is truth. We've gotta get back to the word of God and make sure that that is which is in us. And I could believe that, I think that Jesus identified in his disciples, listen, them in this culture, it's causing them to maybe doubt a few things, to think differently about some stuff. I'm just gonna call them this way and I'm gonna to speak to them now. Like a dad would, or a mom would, a child that's just veering off a little bit. The leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees especially is great with this one. Because it presents itself as religious and good. And it's got all the reasons to tell you why this is right. But we've gotta to stick to the true gospel message of Jesus. We've got to stick to the true, authentic 
interpretation of the word. And that comes by years and years of people who dedicated themselves to study this deeply, not in isolation, but in partner with others and have entrusted it to the church today. It comes in, in safety where there's an eldership team to, to govern and think about things and say, guys, you know what? There's some strange doctrine around. We don't want you to go that route. Can we just stay on what Jesus has told us? It comes in the safety of being part of a church family globally, and I love that we have family with us today, where if we are a little unsure about our theology and some things, we can check it, and we can make sure, and we can ask the question, is this the leaven of the Pharisees, those who present themselves as followers of Jesus, and it's all good, and I'm not speaking out of judgment here, but sadly, the Bible teaches that even in the last days, even the elect will go astray because of different theologies and thoughts that come to mind. God spoke to the church in Galatia about this through the Apostle Paul. And he wrote this, verses 6 to 8, Galatians 1. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. I like that. Just, just by the way, there isn't another one. Just, I just want to say that as well. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, I love how he puts himself in there. He says, even if I make a mistake and come with something different, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. Sadly, this is one of the greater battles that the church is facing today, where there's all these new cultures that sticks to us. And I just wanna say this, in this house, we believe with Jesus in the center, and the God the Father has sent him for the sanctification of our sins and justification and the power of the Holy Spirit, and we believe in this the way it is, in its authenticity and how it was written. We will not veer from this, this is what we'll preach. This is what we'll hold on. And I don't mind if people say it doesn't have to be in the Bible. It has to be in the Bible. It's the word of God. It's what he's given us to live by. And we've got to live like that today. Don't let the cultures around stick to you when new doctrines are introduced. And then the last point that I want to share with you this morning, and this is a strong one. In Luke 12, Jesus gives us his opinion on what the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees is. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, which is hypocrisy. So the fourth thing that he warned them around was faking it. Hypocrisy, in the original word, if you go and study a little bit deeper in the original text, it means to play act, to be like an actor who takes a different position and says stuff in a different character than what the person truly is. You know what I love about the gospel of grace is that you can come as you are. You don't have to come buttoned up and all perfect and having it all together. What would it look like if we be a community that just we completely, brutally honest about where we find ourselves? Instead of coming in through the doors and it's Sunday and yeah, you know what, things are okay. I believe authentic community is found in the truth of where we find ourselves. 
It's found in that place where we can bring our junk and say, you know what, I am deeply battling, I'm doubting, I don't know if I believe everything the Bible says anymore. Can someone please speak to me? I just wanna share. And it's not found in, in Pierre's office and coming to the pastor to get your answer. It's found here amongst us where we work out our theology together, our understanding together, where we pray, where we share meals, where we get through difficult times as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, if we play act, it's not gonna happen. If we present something which we are not, you're not gonna find that freedom. And Jesus pulls his disciples aside and says, there's thousands, there's hype, they're trampling on one another. There's ministry success, there's a whole lot of happening says, hey guys, I just wanna tell you, much of this is play acting. The Sadducees and Pharisees are hypocrites. They say one thing, but they live in another. And I just wanna remind you, as my disciples of this fact, that whatever you do in secret will be shared and open. Whatever you say to one another will be proclaimed on the rooftops. So one thing I've learned about God's grace he loves us enough to bring our stuff out so that we can be healed and restored. So some of us find ourselves play acting and putting up masks because we're too scared of the repercussions of just saying, man, I'm battling. Man, there's sin and it's deep and it's hurting. A God of grace steps in and he changes it all and he heals and he cleanses and he sets us on course again and he restores us. It's the ministry of reconciliation unto the Father. And the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees were one of just fake it. I often have to ask myself honestly this question. Am I really being true about what's in here? My thoughts? I felt the Lord challenge me deeply this week about my thinking. And it's been my one prayer every time this week where I had time with the Lord, God, just come and renew my thinking. There's old memories that you've got to come and take away. There's old patterns of thinking that you've got to come and clean. Play acting is probably the easiest of all of these to live in. But I believe in a faith community where we can come with our stuff and come as we are and we live openly so that we can live in the ministry of reconciliation. So how do we counter the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees? It's simple. Where there's fear, exchange it for faith. Don't let the doubt creep in. Don't believe that if you ask in doubt that you will actually receive. For a doubting man will not. So we counter it with faith. Secondly, where you have forgotten what God has done in your life. It's time to remember again and to remind yourself. Look back 10 years, 15 years, one week, one day. Sit down with a list. I'm making it really practical and say, what has God done for me? And just start writing. You won't be able to count it. It's gonna be countless in the end. If you just think about the fact that you have a healthy body today, that you hear that you've got breath to breathe, that you live in this place, that you get to have some lunch today, that you're gonna sleep somewhere tonight where there's a roof over your head, that you've got people around you who really cares for you and love you. Just, I'm mentioning 10 things in a minute. 
What would happen if we sit for an hour and just remind ourselves what God has done? So remember, the third thing is seek the truth, the true gospel, the true message of Jesus, because in that is life. The rest is hype. It's a moment, it's an experience, it's fleeting. But when you study this and, and figure it out for yourself and when you are unsure, you go and speak and ask until you are sure about the truth. You're gonna be set up for amazing future with Jesus. And then finally, come as you are. Can we come more often to the cross just as we are? Can we move beyond trying to have it all together and not have it all together? Because <laughs> it's in those places that Jesus binds us up again. He binds the brokenhearted. He sets the captive free. That's what life groups are for. That's where we have close community where we can call up a friend and say, you know what, there's some stuff. Before I just come to your house and, and act as if everything is cool, can I just share some stuff with you because I'm sinking and I'm battling. Just come as you are. I love this story about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus didn't care what Jesus thought about his stuff. He was a thief. You know how the tax collectors worked in those days? Is there was a set amount of tax that you have to pay when you go into the city. And then the tax collectors have the freedom to add whatever amount they want on top. So it costs you five rand, but I'm gonna add 50 if you come through my, my entrance. So this guy was just rallying it up. And there was a, there was a moment that Jesus was amidst all these people and he went counterculture. He said, I want to get closer to Jesus. I'm going to climb up this tree because I'm way too short to see him in the crowds of thousands because I want to hear what he says. And he positioned himself in a place where Jesus could see him and pass by him. And Jesus passed by him and says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. He didn't say, Jesus, please don't. My house is going to show you how bad I am. He prepared the best meal he could even amidst his sin and brokenness because Jesus was coming. And they sat down and Jesus had a conversation with him. So much so that he decided in that moment, God, I'm done play acting. I'm done trying to, to, to be something that you have not called me to be. I'm gonna restore everything. And I'm gonna multiply what I've taken from others. And I'm gonna give to the poor. What miracles will we see if we be that open before Jesus? And we come just as we are. So this morning I want us to respond. And I want you to respond boldly and I, I realize that there's many things that you could respond to and I've identified three maybe you find yourself in a little bit of all three of it maybe one sticks out but we're going to have a time of ministry so the first area of response is have you been doubting God has the fear of lack uncertainty the future crept in and it's multiplying like yeast inside of you the second one has there been some play acting where you position yourself amongst other believers as things are okay but really deeply inside it's not third one has there been some other thoughts about Jesus that you've been entertaining or investigating or been studying. 